Hi, welcome back to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. I'm Robbie. I hope you're all doing well, and if you're starting school soon, whether you'll be at home or in a classroom or at home now and in a classroom eventually or some other variant, I hope it goes well. I'm not really ready for summer break to be over, but the calendar didn't ask me for my input. <sighs> so my kids will be starting school from home online, and we're going to do our best to make the best of a very strange year. But hey, talking about a strange year... At least we aren't wandering the desert with hundreds of thousands of our closest relatives, right? That's my clever segue into the story. Well, last episode ended with the Lord God drowning Pharaoh and his army, horses and drivers in the Red Sea, and then everyone's supposed to go to the Promised Land, right? Well, no. They just kind of wander around. Eventually, in many weeks, they'll get to the mountain of God where Moses saw the burning bush and God talked to him. And then in like 40 years, they'll eventually go try to conquer the promised land because there's actually a whole bunch of people already living there. So uh, that story takes the rest of Exodus, more than half of the book, and then also takes the next three books of the Bible to tell. But most of it really isn't a narrative. A lot of it is rules and instructions from God. And then there's just kind of episodic little bits of narrative in there. So I'm not actually going to get into all of the story on the podcast. We won't get all the way to the promised land, but but I'll tell a bit more. So uh, after crossing the Red Sea and everyone was dancing and singing praises to the Lord God, Moses led the people further into the desert. And it's a desert. So they went three days without any fresh water and everyone started to get a little worried. I mean, they were following a powerful God, but on the other hand, that powerful God was really, really scary. He destroyed Egypt on their behalf, but they didn't really know that much else about him. So anyways, they're like really thirsty and they come to this spring of water. Moses led them to the spring, but the water was bitter and not healthy to drink. And the translation I'm using said they grumbled about it. The word grumble, I think it's an onomatopoeia because that's what it sounds like. Grumble, grumble, grumble. The word grumble usually makes you think of being whiny or complaining for no reason, but like it's water. They haven't had fresh water in days. It's a really big deal for humans to have water. Does God know that? I mean, he did turn water into blood, so I guess he knows water is significant. Uh, anyway, so the people cried out to Moses or grumbled because they couldn't drink the water. And then Moses cried out to God and he's like, these people are mad at me because of about the water. And God showed him a piece of wood, and Moses is like, oh, okay, I'll take this wood. And he takes the little piece of wood, and he tosses it into the water, and suddenly the water became safe to drink. So then the Lord God promised the people he would not do terrible things to them like he did to the Egyptians, if only they do everything he says to do, and only do things the Lord God thinks is right. And um, I don't think they really even get a chance to agree to follow those conditions, because, like, they don't really have a choice. <laughs> following this god around the desert so they camp for a little while in a nice place next to some fresh water and then they move on in the desert it's dry it's probably sandy it's hot in the day and it's cold at night and there's not a ton of food free for the finding either so they start to complain about being hungry which again seems kind of justified so god sent down quail in the evening for them to catch it's like a bird they could catch and prepare kind of like a chicken and then God promised food in the morning too. And in the morning they went out to get this food. And as the dew on the ground evaporated, they found this strange substance. It was flaky and it tasted a little like honey and you could eat it or cook with it. And they gathered it in the morning and it melted away when the day got hot. What is it? The people said. 
It's bread from heaven, Moses told them, but they called it manna, which sounds like the Hebrew words for what is it? And then God promised to send this manna every morning, so no one was supposed to collect more than what they needed for their household for one day. And there's kind of a thing where, like, it doesn't matter how much you, you did your best to collect enough, and even if you couldn't collect that much, it was miraculously the right amount for your household. But they could they were only supposed to collect it for one day, so this was like a test to see if they'd follow their specific instructions and a test to see if they'd trust God. So some people did try to save the manna overnight in case God didn't actually send any the next day, but it became disgusting and stinky and gross and they couldn't eat it. And that happened all week. All week, every morning, there would be fresh manna on the ground when the dew was starting to evaporate. But on Friday night, they actually were supposed to keep the manna overnight because on the seventh day of the week, God wasn't going to send any. The seventh day of the week was supposed to be the holy day for resting called the Sabbath. So on Friday morning, they would collect extra. And on Friday night, it actually wouldn't go bad. And they'd eat it Saturday morning too. So most of the people listened and saved the manna on Friday only. And this one day of the week, it didn't get disgusting overnight. But some people went out Saturday morning to collect more of the strange bread. And there wasn't any. And then God got mad and he's like, Moses, how long will these stubborn people refuse to do exactly what I told them to do? So I don't really think God has a lot of compassion for a bunch of frightened humans following a man who's nearly a stranger and a God who's even more strange all over the desert after a really scary escape from slavery. But um, that's kind of the story here. So anyways, God got irritated about that, but he sent the manna the entire time the people were wandering the desert. And Moses told Aaron to save a big jar of it, like a gallon-sized jar, to keep to show future generations that God had provided for them when they were in the desert. And I assume the big jar would not go bad. Then they wandered around some more, following God, and the people got thirsty again, and they asked for more water, which Moses got really irritated about, saying, why are you testing God? But, like, as I've said I don't think they know if they can rely on God to make sure they have food and water if they don't go around reminding Moses that they need some. And I think Moses thinks it's obvious that God won't let them die of dehydration in the desert, but it's not obvious to the people. So God told Moses to hit this one rock, and he hits the rock and water comes out of it. And then everyone's like, yay, we have water. But then while they're trying to relax next to this little spring in the desert, this group of people, this tribe called the Amalekites, came to attack the Israelites while they were camping. So Moses sent out Joshua, a younger person who was his right-hand man, and Joshua led an army of Israelites to defend the camp, while Moses stood on a hill over the fight with the staff of God in his hands. And as long as Moses was lifting the staff of God in the air with both his arms, Joshua's army did really well, but when his arms got too tired and he lowered his arms, the battle started to go really badly for them. And he's like, he's like in his 80s. He's kind of old to be standing on a hill in the hot sun, holding the staff up over his head with both arms for hours. I mean, I couldn't do it. I bet you couldn't do it. So Aaron, Moses' brother, got a rock for Moses to sit on, and then... Aaron and another man stood on either side of Moses and Moses sat on this rock and held his arms up and they just, you know, his arms would have been about chest tight. So they just grab onto one arm each and there his arms are in the air. And uh, he's got the staff and he's holding the staff over his head because of Moses and their other friend. 
and uh, they won the battle. And God told Moses to be sure to write this bit down so Joshua knows about it, because Joshua would be the next leader of Israel. And eventually I'm going to get to some stories about Joshua, because there's some really fun ones. So anyway, after two months of traveling, they got to the mountain called the Mountain of the Lord. You might remember that this is where Moses first met the Lord God and the burning bush. And the Lord God told him as a sign that he, Moses, would worship God on this mountain after freeing everyone from Egypt. So they camped in front of this mountain. And then God said, basically what is already said like a bunch of times, that he saved them and now they're his possession and they're supposed to do everything he says. And everyone agreed to do everything the Lord had said. So Moses goes back to the Lord on the mountain and it's like, everyone agrees to do everything you said. And then the Lord tells Moses to go back down and tell the people to get ready. And they're doing a lot of back and forth here because the Lord is going to speak to the people, but the Lord's like super holy. So everyone has to be really clean, both ritually clean and like literally clean. They had to take baths and wash their clothes. And they were going to put boundaries all around the base of the mountain to keep people from the mountain. So, cause if anyone so much as touched the mountain, they would have to put that person to death but they couldn't even touch that person who had touched the mountain. So they would have to like throw things at him or shoot him with arrows. So they just really didn't want that to happen. So they put up the boundaries and then everyone had three days to prepare the boundaries and, and to get themselves clean and wash their clothes. And then on the morning of the third day, that was the day and there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of a loud trumpet and everyone was pretty scared. And Moses led everyone out of the camp to meet God at the foot of the mountain. And Mount Sinai, the, the mountain of God, was completely covered in smoke because the Lord came down on it in a fire and the mountain was shaking like, rah, I don't know how to do shaking sound effect. Anyway, a lot of things suggest that this part of the story could be based on some people's experience with a volcano because this sounds like a lot, of, a lot like a volcano. And actually, there are some extinct volcanoes in that part of the world. So that's interesting. So anyway, in all this spectacle of fire and cloud and smoke and lightning, God calls, calls Moses to come back up the mountain again. So Moses heads back up the mountain. And he's like, Moses, go back down and tell the people not to come up the mountain so I don't have to kill anybody. And Moses is like, you already told us to put a boundary on the mountain so they're not going to come up the mountain. And God's like, okay. Well, then you go down and get Aaron and bring Aaron back up here. But while you're there, warn the people not to come up the mountain. Because God's very concerned about this. And so Moses went back down again. And God spoke to all the people in apparently a terrifying voice. And the words he spoke to them are what we usually refer to as the, the Ten Commandments. So first God says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. In case there was any confusion as to what gods were involved here, and whether the pillar of fire and the smoke on the mountain god is the same as the turning water to blood god. And I mean, maybe this was really important because in Egypt, gods mostly just covered a few areas of life. Like you've got the god of, I don't know, dust and then the god who looks like a frog and the god of the Nile. They, they just, you know, gods were supposed for specific things and that's why they had so many gods but this god was like an all-purpose god a one god fits all thing and so um he's like you know this is me i brought you out of egypt and then uh god starts giving the rules the, the ten commandments um just like the ten plagues actually there's ten of them anyway so uh the first one one don't have any other gods 
Two, don't make any idols, any statues of things to worship, because then I'll get jealous and I'll punish you and your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids. But if you keep my commands, I'll take care of a thousand generations of grandkids. Three, don't misuse the name of the Lord your God. Now, note, some people say that means don't say, oh my God. But um, Jewish people and some Christians tend to think it means don't say, God told me to do this to justify stuff that actually you want to do. Four, remember to de dedicate, I can't say that. Four, remember to dedicate the Sabbath day. Six days you will work and on the seventh day you will rest because God created the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything that exists in six days and rested on the seventh day. Five, respect your parents. Six, don't murder. That's pretty straightforward. Seven, don't commit adultery, which means cheating on your spouse. Eight, don't steal. Nine, don't give a false testimony like in court or something. And lastly, 10, don't covet things that belong to your neighbor. And when I was a kid, I was told it meant to be jealous, but more liberal Christians often say that covet means to think of stealing your neighbor's stuff or harming your neighbor to get his stuff. It's not just, wow, he has a nice donkey. I should buy a donkey like that. It's more like, wow, he has a nice donkey. I want his donkey. I hope he falls in a pit so I can get his donkey. Maybe I should push him into a pit so I can get his donkey. Anyway, yeah, that's, that's the one you shouldn't do. So those are God's Ten Commandments, the ten most crucial parts of the law, which God's going to give to Moses throughout the next several books of the Bible, because the first several of these Ten Commandments are about how to relate to God as an atheist. I would probably only keep a few of the rules in this set if I was going to make a list of the ten most important rules for humans to follow. Um, sometimes I like to think about what would be the most important rules to give humans. I wonder what rules for humans you would give. But uh, it's worth noting that God wasn't making the 10 most important rules for all of humanity. These are more like a cornerstone of Jewish identity, which includes the God stuff. So in context of the story about how God called the people out of Egypt to be his chosen people, the rules God gives here make a lot of sense. So remember, through all this law giving, there is the whole basically a volcano erupting, plus the giant booming voice from heaven. And everyone was terrified and they told Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen to you, but don't let God speak to us or we'll die. And then Moses said, don't be afraid. This is just a test from God. So you'll fear God and not sin. Maybe that's super deep, but like in my translation, that's just literally, don't be afraid. God's trying to scare you. <laughs> so that's interesting. So then everyone was like, well, we are scared. And they stayed at a very healthy distance and did not touch the mountain, which is good. Well, Moses once again walked into the cloud of smoke where God was up on the mountain. And then God gave like Moses a lot of rules to give the people about how to treat each other and how to treat personal property and how important it is to be honest and just in courts of law. And then Moses goes back down the mountain and tells them all of the things and reminds them don't make any idols, which is going to be important in a minute. And they all offer some animals as, a, as an offering to God. And everyone agrees to do everything God says again. And then Moses and Aaron and many of Israel's elders went up the mountain and saw God. Well, they actually just saw his feet, like huge, majestic feet, because God is so holy that no one can see him and live. So they just see the feet of God. I guess it's only like the face of God that will kill you, like the Greek Medusa or something, I guess. If you don't know who the Medusa was, it's, it's kind of creepy, but it's like a Greek monster sort of. Anyway, 
Then Moses, who's got to be exhausted from all this trekking up and down the mountain by now, he leads Aaron and the other elders back down and he tells them, wait here, take care of the people. Aaron's in charge. I've got to talk to God for another good long while. And Moses and his assistant Joshua, who had led the battle against the Amalekites, they go up this mountain again that looks like it's on fire, like it's supposed to be the whole presence of God all over this mountain looking like a fire that's burning everything. And Moses just walks into that. And he stayed there for 40 days and 40 nights because the Bible really likes the number 40. And God's like, okay, we've made this agreement with the people that I'm going to be their God and they're going to follow my rules. So now let's talk about this tabernacle that you're going to build me. And the tabernacle was like this kind of a precursor to the temple. It's this huge ornate tent thing. They could, they could put it up and take it down. And it was going to be this portable building with walls of fabric, but it was going to be huge and made of all these really valuable materials like gold and silver and expensive fabric. And the instructions for this tabernacle and everything that's going to be in it go on for chapters. And you remember God told everyone to get all this expensive gold jewelry and cloth as a farewell present from the Egyptians who were hoping they would leave and God wouldn't send any more plagues. That was also the people would have a lot of valuable material to build this special tabernacle. And one of the most sacred things that was going to be made and put in this tabernacle was the Ark of the Covenant. And you know how the whole uh, scary, fiery presence of God was on the mountain? Well, the Ark was going to be like a box, not a boat like Noah's Ark, but a box that people could carry made of expensive wood and gold and and sort of angel-looking things made of gold on the lid. would be super fancy. And that's where the presence of God was going to rest instead of like as a volcano on the mountain. And it would be so holy because, you know, the presence of God rested there that nobody could touch it or they would die unless it was like a very clean priest who was specifically supposed to be putting something in it. Special holy artifacts would go in it, like, like the jar of manna that Aaron was supposed to save. And they were going to have to move this ark from place to place along with the rest of the tabernacle. So it would have rings on it that they would slide poles through. I think the rings, the poles were permanent, but but anyway, um, several people, they could each take a side of one of the poles and nobody would touch the ark itself because it was like terrifyingly, deadly sacred. So meanwhile, as God is going on for over a month telling Moses what type of oil they should use in the tabernacle and what the priest should wear, all these instructions for their clothes, people started to get a little freaked out because their God was a huge fire and Moses had disappeared into the fire. And they went to Aaron and said, you need to make us a God we can follow because Moses, the man we followed out of Egypt, has walked into the fire on the mountain and we don't know what's happened to him. They probably thought he was never coming back at this point. I mean, it's been well over a month. So uh, Aaron collects some of the gold jewelry from the people, which God has already called dibs on kind of, but they didn't know that. And he makes this little gold statue of a calf. And it's pretty, it's, it's, it's pretty and it's, um, you know, glittery and it's relatable because they know calves. And the people said, this is our God who brought us out of Egypt, which very clearly breaks the rule they just agreed to, to not make any idols. And then Aaron calls everyone together to have a festival to worship the Lord God because he figures they could use a party. So they worship the Lord God who brought them out of Egypt who happens to look like a gold calf. And they had a really great party. Meanwhile, the actual Lord God on the mountain is like, oh Moses, you've got to go get your people because they're worshiping this calf and saying it's the Lord God. But before Moses can actually leave to go tell the people to stop God's like actually you know what leave me alone don't go near the people I will destroy all of them and then you can just have a bunch of kids and they'll become a great nation we'll just start over again 
Moses is like, you just saved these people. The Egyptians are going to say, wow, that God really brought them out of Egypt just to destroy them. And then you'll look really bad. And also you promised Abraham that he would become a great nation, so you can't destroy them all. So then the Lord God changed his mind. So Moses and Joshua go head down the mountain, and uh, Moses has got these stone tablets that God himself has carved and written the rules on. And as they get closer, Joshua's like, it sounds like there's a battle in the camp. And Moses is like, actually, it's a party. Ugh. And God had been mad, and Moses calmed God down, but now Moses is mad? Because he knows that just because he convinced God not to completely destroy everybody, this is not the end of it. So he throws these stone tablets that God made down on the ground and smashes them, which is either a big fit or very symbolic of, you know, breaking the rules. Probably symbolic. And then he takes this golden calf from the middle of the party and he smashes it into smithereens and he sprinkles the gold dust into the water. Makes everybody drink it and they like get sick. And then Moses said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you would lead them to do something that would make God so angry? And then he calls for volunteers to help kill a lot of people. I think he was hoping that if he punished the people, God would be like, oh yeah, they've been punished enough. But uh, so then he went back up to God after killing a bunch of people. And he said, uh, if you don't forgive these people, then just cut me out of the book you've written. But uh, God's like, no, I'll just cut whoever is actually guilty out of the book because I kind of do what I want. So God sent a plague anyway. So a whole bunch of the Israelites die. And God says, I better not go with the Israelites anymore or I'll just end up killing them all after they make me angry. But Moses thinks it's like super important that God continue to lead them and take care of them because that sets them apart from all the other nations that are in the land they're going to. He, he persuades God to change his mind and continue going with the people. I think it's interesting because God's like, I can't talk to these people or I'll end up killing them. And the people are like, you talk to God, but don't let God talk to us or we'll die. Like... They're kind of in agreement there, but Moses is convinced that they all need each other and God changes his mind because Moses is so persistent. Also, God really likes Moses. So then Moses asks God to see God. He wants to see him more than anyone has ever seen before. I mean, the elders only saw God's feet. And so God's like, okay, because he really likes Moses. So he agrees Moses can see him, but he's going to cover Moses' face with his hand, which I guess is like a giant hand. And he's going to pick Moses up in his hands and, and put Moses on a rock until he gets and cover Moses' face until he gets past Moses. And Moses can see his old backside, but he can't. He's got to cover his face so that Moses doesn't see God's face. Because even Moses, the most important prophet of all time, if he, he would just straight up die from the sheer holiness if he actually saw the face of God. He just can only see God's backside. So Moses goes up and he meets God and also he brings new tablets that God's going to write on again since Moses smashed the first one. And so the Lord God appears before Moses in a cloud and passes by him and, and he proclaims, The Lord is a compassionate God, slow to anger, forgiving rebellion and sin, but punishing the guilty. And I kind of wonder if this compassionate God stuff is more of an aspirational thing, like what God wishes he was like. Because he did just have to be reminded by Moses to be slow to anger because he was about to destroy everyone. And then Moses went back down the mountain with the two tablets and he didn't break them this time. And he didn't realize he had come in such close contact with the glory of God that 
some of the glory had rubbed off on him and his face was literally glowing like light was coming out of his skin and everyone even Aaron was kind of afraid of Moses glowing skin so he had to wear this mask this veil over his face so that people wouldn't see that his face was glowing and then God decided that he'd keep going with the people until they were settled in the promised land because Moses worked so hard to keep the peace between the people and the Lord God there is a lot more to the story of the Israelites' journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. In fact, they end up in the desert for 40 years. It's not because it takes 40 years to get there. But uh, we'll stop there for now because, um, honestly, I'm a bit tired of God. <laughs> for someone slow to anger, he gets angry a lot. But maybe I'll tell some more later. There's a bunch of interesting stories in here. I'll have another episode, a non-Exodus-related episode, in two weeks. Uh, my spouse is working on a special um, episode about Satan. So that's going to be fun. Uh, thanks so much for listening to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. Our theme music is Wholesome by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution. Until next time, shine on, star child. <laughs>